Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Schenkler. Hey, Carl. Good to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you. I've, uh, as we've mentioned before, I get uh, uh, listeners, readers who uh, write to me about uh, FMEA-related or reliability-related questions, and I know you do too. Mm -hmm. And just, it's a lot of fun. It's one of the more enjoyable uh, aspects of our business. And this the one individual wrote about a, uh, a product line had, had to do with manufacturing equipment. And the, the desire to use the bathtub curve so that they could begin uh, modeling the different types of mistakes I'm sorry, errors or failures um, that they have in some rational way. And you're talking about a, a, a bathtub curve that's one formula where it has the decreasing failure rate, flat part, yes. and it increasing. And I know that there's a handful of formulas out there that are really ugly looking that try to mimic that shape or fit that shape. It's almost the concept, because you go back to uh, reliability textbooks years back, where you'll, you'll see in every one, virtually every one of them. It was required in any reliability presentation in the 80s that you showed a profile yeah, of a bathtub. It's, it's required. You, you basically taught it as the holy grail. Right. Uh, this, everybody listen very carefully, with, you know, we're 1980s. Uh, this is what reliability is. And then it would start, and the instructor would draw a bathtub. And if the listeners haven't seen this, and you probably have, but if you hadn't, it's a the whole idea of the bathtub is that you start at a high failure rate at, at almost zero time because you have uh, the theory is you have early wear in or some people call it infant mortality failures, mm -hmm. and that decreases fairly quickly as you get your act together and discover that somebody put the wrong calibration settings on the equipment or something. And so that failure rate starts decreasing. Then is the long march uh, towards uh, useful life, uh, which is the flat part of the bathtub. If you've laid in a bathtub, you know it's usually flat for most of it. And then once some magical uh, wear out um, bell goes off, then you get into the wear out mode. I had a car is, that was definitely in the wear out part. <laughs> <laughs> I had a car that was in wear out mode after year one. <laughs> uh, let's not name the brand of that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in that, so you get this flat part and then suddenly it turns into a upward slope, which is where you have a higher failure rate towards the end. Mm -hmm. And that's basically the end of life, also called useful life, also called design life, and uh, which is a, its own technical discussion as to whether those terms are all equivalent. But the, but the whole idea here is that we teach, used to teach reliability from the viewpoint of this bathtub curve. And so the topic here that, that I shared with the, the questioner was, what's wrong with that? So what do you think, Fred? What's wrong with that as your paradigm for reliability? Um, well, it's fictional. It's a, it is and I actually tried to dig into where did this come from and why did it does it exist? Because I have never seen any data set whatsoever that resembled 
a comfortable bathtub of any form <laughs> at all. Um, they're more ragged and jagged and, and V-shaped than anything I've ever seen. Uh, or they might be hockey stick shaped, you know, they, it's, it's, but not flat. None of them have ever been flat. Uh, and the, what's wrong with it is that there's, it's a concept to say that there's three kinds of failures or three classes of mechanisms, some that work out of your population. Some things happen completely random, um, you know, like lightning strike, although depending on where you live, that it's definitely not random. And, and other times it's, yeah, things wear and we can map and model those things. So dependent on the nature of the failure rate, you get different classes or things to go look for, which is vague advice at best, because you can certainly have wear out on day one, you know, and yes. so on. It gets more complicated. Yet it's it's a whole lot easier to teach those concepts and the nature of these different patterns that you would see in looking at individual data sets um, than the reality where you have thousands of different failure mechanisms all competing to cause these units to fail. And that's overwhelming for an intro to reliability type presentation. So the bathtub gets you into distributions and different types of failure mechanisms and all kinds of cool stuff like that. Weibull slopes. And yeah. And, and then you go right into Weibull going a beta less than one means this and a beta greater than one means this and so on. Yet the, the fundamental problem I have with it is there's no such thing as a flat part of the curve. You right. know, it just doesn't exist. Well, and that therein is the rub. The, uh, it is, it, it, it's easy to teach. And I remember, I mean, you can explain it. You can say, okay, a complex system is going to have a lot of different things happening uh, randomly is the, is the theory. And those things will, um, since they're random, they'll arrive at, a, they'll aggregate into a flat portion. I just have, I've only seen it once. So I'm going to share two stories. One is uh, as, a, as a new product reliability manager, when I was a GM, we were given um, students, interns. They had a whole intern program. It was a wonderful program. I love internships. And the interns would arrive and they you'd need to give them something to do. So I said, okay, I want you to go off to the, uh, the proving grounds and then find databases. And I want you to look at an entire vehicle and, and subsystems and components. And this was a months, months long internship. So mm -hmm. it was a pretty long one. And this person went off and did an outstanding job of looking at all the different systems and subsystems involved in a vehicle, plotting over time because this this was a point where GM was was buying, purchasing all the different models of competitors as mm -hmm. well as doing their own, running them through uh, the proving grounds and Belgian blocks and all the different ways you you exercise, and then doing teardowns and getting to root cause. So they had really good data, which is much better than warranty data. Mm -hmm. So this is the only time I've been able to see systems. And when I looked at all, and he plotted them out and had a nice booklet, I wish I still had it. Don't know what happened to it. Um, but when I looked at it, it, it jumped out at me. It was like a check mark. It, 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 there was a decrease and then there was an increase, yep. but it wasn't flat. Yeah. And of course, you could step back and say, well, that's because the different designs weren't good enough and you can make all kinds of reasons, but that was real. And 
So that one, that's one story. The other story is there's one company, I won't mention a name, uh, that was assuming exponential distribution in a bathtub curve and on a new product, and they had done a lot of testing, and the testing actually showed a flat part of a complex system. And that's the only one I've seen. And so, of course, one doesn't make a, a proof a hypothesis. Well, it, and uh, because I've seen so many that don't apply, yeah. but I have seen one that did. Well, I I want to dig deeper into how do they how they tested to do that because yeah. <laughs> as I found, some people just assume it's flat and then ignore anything that's not. They say, "Oh, that sensor that doesn't count. That was you know that's a one off. That was a one off. That was a manufacturing defect. The technician didn't know what he was looking at. Lots mm -hmm. and lots of justifications to to what's the confirmational bias idea that if you expect exponential, you can you can see exponential in anything mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, yeah, point. it's the let the data talk to you. Be honest with the information you're getting and, and, and all of those pieces of it. Um, the part of the, what I ran into is even at RAMS, there's a tutorial about, it's kind of the intro to reliability statistics. And they very, very quickly show the bathtub curve. And I hope they're still not doing this. Mm. And and then they go into all the distributions and they use the exponential because it's so easy to show the math for it. Mm. You know, the integration's simple, and it's the it, the der, 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 the uh, derivatives are simple, and, and and a whole bunch of other things you can do if you actually are in the exponential distribution. And I stood up during that one of their presentations, and I says, "So, how often is any of our failure mechanisms well described by an exponential distribution?" And it's like, well, almost never. And says, so then why are you using this <laughs> system to teach people this? You know, and to talk about CDFs and PDFs and hazard rates and all the other stuff. And he says, because the math is simple. Oh yes. And huh. I, you know, you're you're doing a disservice because <laughs> to, to everybody in the room, if you're doing it. And I wasn't welcome at dinner that night. You know, kind of. Thing. You weren't invited. <laughs> I wasn't sure. invited to that party. Oh. <laughs> and it was just. Just because it's easy for you to show the slides doesn't mean that it's you're actually helping anybody. I think there's it's a disservice. Let's it's a just disservice. Say it. Yeah, yeah it, it is a disservice. And fortunately, um, it's taken a long while, and people like you with the the no M, no MTBF um, you website. Know, you know, in hindsight, I should have named it uh, no K N O W. I think I would have got more traffic. On oh it. yes, <laughs> uh, but the. And I actually got a call a couple of days ago. Somebody said, you know, I just wanted to say thanks for the no MTBF effort you've been doing. I've been following for years, sending people to it for decades. You know, it's almost been 20 years, almost. And it's making a difference. You know, that kind of made my day. And it was out of the blue. It, was it like, does make yeah. a difference. And it takes, it takes a long time. I mean, I'm still seeing it. I'm on standards committees. And people are still telling me that, well, you know, we got to have the MT this, MT that. Um I mean, there's there's a lot of acronyms, but, yeah. but most of them, many of them, follow that same uh, path yep. and have that same flaw. But why do you why are you doing this? Is the question. Well, because we've always done it. That's because right. it's in the specifications, and they can pull out a standard that's still around. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> shouldn't supports, be. <laughs> it shouldn't be exactly. So but, yeah, the, but this. Go ahead. I was going to say the bathtub curve's got. I mean, we we have part of its origin story. We have some, why it propagates itself and so on. Um, 
What I find is a, another issue with it is beyond assuming that you're in the bat, in the flat part of the curve, which is rare. It really is rare. Is that the idea is is that it's not whether you're on the front slope or the where you're you know the back wear out mechanism. It's what's the mechanism? What's what is happening? Is ten percent of my production faulty and they're working their way out of the system? But what's that mechanism? How do yeah. I solve that? How do I get rid of that sooner and get it out of my production line? If I want to re, you know, make a difference, I need to understand not just the pattern. I need to understand the mechanism. You know, yeah. what is when you causing it? So, so I'll, I'll, I'll push back only from the what, what, and I know you know the answer. Well, the system has tons of mechanisms. It's a complex system. So then, you know, but the, but. The response to that, which I, I know you know, is yes, but that may be true. But if you don't get to the mechanisms, you're not going to be able to do anything to address about it. it. You're not going to yeah. design it right or fix it if you have a problem. Yeah. So I don't know it's a couple of years ago now. It's uh, Philip Sage and I did a podcast, and it actually went about forty-five minutes. Is one of our <laughs> longer ones. Uh, yet it was on this concept. Where does this notion that a complex system will will at some point just be best modeled by an exponential. And there's actually this gentleman yeah. named Drenick that put forth the theorem years and years and years ago. And Philip talked about that. He thought he was so you know brilliant that he had, he had you know, rediscovered or drove Drenick's theorem and then found out later that somebody else already published it like 20 years earlier. But the idea is, is that if you've got a complex system, meaning hundreds of thousands of components, and this is like battleship level, mm -hmm. you know, space kind of shuttle. complexity, space shuttle complexity kind of thing. And the, the repairs on that system were only due to failures. You did no preventative maintenance. You didn't replace anything before it failed. You, everything ran to failure. Ooh. And you kept that system running and every repair was as good as new right? For that component, you take out a compressor, you put in a brand new compressor and everything else is in its current, whatever state it's in. It's, you know, the, the motor that's driving it may be 10 years old, but the compressor is new. And so it's clock starts anew. So every replacement only replaces back to new the component that failed. And it runs in this condition of constantly repairing only on failure for like a hundred years. It will slowly, asymptotically, with a very complex system, um, tend to be an exponential overall. From So at year 100 to year 101, it looks like just random things are occurring. The, the probability of any system ever fitting that model is really almost Really, no. really low. No. And you know, if you're a listener, think about that for me. You could actually replay this and, and write down those those ifs that Fred just said. He said this, and then this, and then this. All those things are assumptions that have flaws, like that you fix it and it's 100% effective. And of course, we know from reliability growth methodology, there's this whole factor called the fixed effectiveness factor, which is never 100%. Yep. So the, you're right, nothing's gonna fit all of those, and that's why it's so rare. 
right. to achieve yeah, this. Yeah, people have got that concept. They might not know the name of the paper that it came from, but this concept, and I ran into it just last week. Well, we've got a complex system. Well, what is it? It was a little bit more complex than a coffee mug, huh. but not by much. And they said, well, it's a huh. complex system because huh. it has lots of molecules in it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. that does not apply <laughs> no, <laughs> at doesn't. all. <laughs> I, I want to back up on something on this subject. This, uh, this, The reader who wrote me on this I, uh, was keying off of or responding to an article that I wrote called The Future of FMEAs. Mm-hmm. I started with the future of reliability, and then I wrote the future of FMEIs. And the but the whole point there is in the future of reliability article. I, I talked about our future is going to be uh, a better use of models. Uh, we're getting more opportunities for modeling, and the whole point of the article, that portion of it, was be careful because there's a there's a what's the word a trend or a fad, so to speak, to do everything by models, be careful because models have assumptions and models have flaws, and you need to know what they are so you can, uh, doesn't mean you don't use models, it means you have to understand what the limitations are. Yep. And that was the the essence of my writing back to this uh, gentleman who uh, wrote us, is there, there's understandably and correctly a, a trend to do more model-based engineering, model-based systems engineering, uh, part of that needs to be a eyes wide open, understanding what the flaws are in models, so we don't then skip over and then have problems in the future. That's my rant. No, I I agreed, and I, I was just trading some email with somebody that is looking like they're going to become a new author a contributor onto Ascendo, and their focus recently has been on machine learning to do predictive maintenance, and. It goes back to all of this stuff about AI and all the machine learning systems that are out there. They all have a bias based on what was their training platform. And, and that leads to a blind spot in nearly every model, even simple models of, say, a Weibel, uh, you know, smoothing over some data so that you have a, a Weibel distribution associated with it. It is just a crude attempt to draw a line that best fits a set of data. It's a regression model, right? It doesn't hit it perfectly. You don't understand with that model all the variation because when you plot the data next to the the line, it there's it doesn't go dot to dot to dot. <laughs> it doesn't explain every bit of variation that actually occurs. It's convenient, it's smoothing, it makes a bunch of assumptions. Yet when we get into machine learning or AI or very complex systems where we're using Monte Carlo just to be able to get to an answer, the the assumptions stack a lot. And mm. that combined with just the, the modeling assumptions and biases that go into it goes back to my favorite one is they assumed everything was exponential so they could model it easily. Okay, mm-hmm. well. Mm. But then ignoring anything that was outside of that. It's part of the, if you get too enamored with a model that it's right and everything else is wrong, there must be something wrong with your interpretation of it. You're at the model's mercy then and you're in trouble. I like your expression of eyes wide open. Understand the boundaries, the conditions, the um, limitations, the nuances of what the model can and can't do. And too many, way too many I've run into ignore that part of it. Well, and let me use let me use the H word, humility. The if you're going to use models, which you should, 
you should understand how to use them. And, and, and there are some very useful models. The part of that engagement, part of the commitment when you're using models is to be in it for the long term. To use a model, look at the data, calibrate, you update it, use it again, look at the data, calibrate, update. It's a long-term process yep. to make the model better and better uh, rather than just assuming that it's fine and not uh, revisiting. Yeah. Now, there are a handful of folks I've run into that have really good system models. And the mm -hmm. one I'm thinking of is, was built around, and it was on the order of like 25 or 30 known failure mechanisms for mm. anything but a, a comp. When you get into the details, it's rather complex. Yet, it's it was a, a silicon MEMS device. A, I don't remember what MEMS stands for anymore, but think of it as a really small machine built on silicon dimensions mm -hmm. and a, a component dimensions. And yeah, microelectronic machine. Is that what MEMS stands for? <laughs> I don't remember. That'll work. Yeah. The, the idea, though, is, is that, yes, you can make models. It's a simplifying rule in engineering. We have to do it. Yet understanding that whole process is really key. Um you know, I'm thinking of our last uh, uh, podcast. We we're talking about mistakes and stuff, and and I think this one ranks in there. Is you know, if you are just paying homage to your model and not actually letting it improve or uh, accepting any feedback that it's needs improvement or needs adjustment or whatever calibration, I think is what she said. That's a big mistake. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Please don't you know, use Drenick's theorem to prove that a complex system is exponential. That it, that's <laughs> just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's wrap this one up because uh, if you're a listener and you have some comments and thoughts about the use of models and the bathtub curve, uh, please get in touch with us. Oh, I'll definitely let us know if you have any good comebacks to some professor that shows you or any presentation that uses a bathtub curve in it. You gotta, we gotta have like the ten best uh, comebacks or or, or 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 questions to get off that that old trope. But you can do that over at ascendoreliability dot com slash go. This sounds like a recording but it's not, um, <laughs> where you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us. And uh, Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch with us. No bathtub curve involved. Just give us a, a shout, uh, leave us a voicemail or send us an email, uh, a message through uh, social media. All of those work. And we definitely don't get them in a random pattern. They, they come and go. And uh, we, but we look forward to hearing from you and, and engaging with your comments or questions and talking about it on the show. Well, very good, Fred. All right. Well, thanks, Carl. A good topic there. Um, I hadn't thought about the bathtub curve in a long time. And I've, I, my very first presentation at Rams, um, they, they actually came back and said, well, you're not showing the bathtub curve. And I was talking about distributions oh, and stuff. And I said, oh, oh, my shame God. On you. <laughs> yeah, this is a law. This is a rule. No, it's not. So anyway, thanks, Carl. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Fred. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic, that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes 
or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.